The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Hello, New Covenant Community Church. Thank you for joining in on this podcast, on this YouTube page, however it is that you're joining us. We're glad that you are. I'm excited to tell you that on May the 31st, uh, we plan to bring our service from the parking lot uh, of our property here back into the inside of our building on May the 31st. Now, there's many details that go uh, along with that announcement. Uh, that have been posted in a video that has been sent out in emails, on social media, on our website. Uh, You can go to any of those platforms and watch that video and see the plan. Uh, But we are very excited about May the 31st. That's actually Pentecost Sunday. We look forward to that being a wonderful day of celebrating and thanksgiving to the Lord and what He has done for us. So wherever it is that you are, uh, with the exclusion of being in your car, I would ask that you would bow your head Close your eyes and join me in praying. Father, we look forward to the end of this shutdown, this coronavirus season. We look forward to the day, God, when when church buildings all across this nation and all across this world would once again be filled with the voices, with the singing, thanksgiving, praising voices of broken vessels that have been made whole again, of redeemed vessels that were enemies of you, that saw the goodness in you, that saw your love for us. We look forward to that day, God. Thank you for what it is that you have done in bringing us through this season. We look for your provision and your provision only. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, Take your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. And then you can go to chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Over these past couple weeks, the Lord has led me to preach about weapons. We first preached about unlikely weapons, things that we have in our hands or things and experiences that we have that are unlikely weapons, things that in God's hands can be used for mighty, mighty works, but in our lives are worthless. But when we put the experiences that we have and the things that we have and whatever it is that we have that we put in God's hands and how those things can, can become an unlikely weapon. We preached about useful weapons. What it means to be a useful, lasting, and valuable weapon in God's army, in God's hands, what we can do, how we position our lives in prayer and in worship and obedience before the Lord that allows the Lord to use us in mighty, mighty ways, in a way that leaves us a good legacy. And in the process of all this preaching about weapons, we have learned about the people of the Philistines. We know from the Bible, we know from all sources of history that the Philistines were a wicked people. They were a bloodthirsty, warring people. And there's one particular Philistine in particular whose name was Goliath. And we know the story of David and Goliath very, very well. In fact, it's probably, next to Christmas, probably the most popular story in all of Scripture. And we know of this story that it took place in a place called the Valley of Elah. 
And in the valley of Elah on either side there was a mountain. And at the foothill of each mountain there was an army, the Philistines on one side and the Israelites on the other. And we know the story of how Goliath, this giant, this actual giant of a man with weapons that were oversized. And, and he is this man that was a man of war from birth, the Bible says. And, and, and he, was, he was a battling man. He was a man of the Philistines and he was greatly feared and he would come out and and display his armor and display his weapons and display his strength and all the Israelites were were afraid and and what Goliath represented to the Israelites was fear and self-doubt did God really call us to take this land discouragement can we even defeat this this bloodthirsty foe called the Philistines with Goliath as their giant can are we going to lose everything are we going to be defeated or are we just going to be oppressed by these people forever so let me ask you a question this morning church and dear friends wherever it is that you're hearing this message what are you afraid of today what are you self-doubting yourself about what discourages you? What, what do you fear to lose? Are you defeated in an area of life? Are you oppressed by something? What is it that, that causes you to be low? Because what I believe is that each of us have a Goliath that we're dealing with today. And perhaps it's even a Goliath that you know that you're going to be dealing with next week. How many of you, and if you were present with me, I'd ask you to either honk your horn if we were in the parking lot or raise your hand if we were presently here together. But how many of you have had a Goliath that is coming in the next work week and it ruins your whole weekend? You don't even have to face that giant until the following work week, but your whole weekend is ruined because of that Goliath and its threats and the things that it threatens to do to you. And we see how the devil used Goliath all those years ago when he was faith- battling with David and And we see that Goliaths of today speak some of the exact same things. If you're in 1 Samuel chapter 17, look to verse 8, where we read, and it says, Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to the line for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? We see the self-doubt that is being inflicted upon God's people there. Goliath then says, Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So we see this promise of defeat, this this fear of great loss, this discouragement that's being inflicted upon God's people. And Goliath doesn't stop there. Look now to verse 16. And it says, And the Philistine drew near and presented himself for forty days, morning and evening. So not only is Goliath boasting of these things and threatening God's people and defying God and the armies of the Lord, but But Goliath is also doing it persistently, and it's just like the devil to persistently attack us with darkness and depression and doubt in our lives today. And if the Scripture makes anything clear about the devil and what he does, it's that he doesn't like you. He doesn't like me. He does not like God's people. And it's his mission that it does not go well for us. David, we know the story, he He goes to Saul and he wants to 
fight with Goliath. He wants to be the one of the Israelites that goes and, and fights with Goliath. And, and as David is going towards this huge giant, look now to verse 43. We're still in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, but we're now in verse 43. And the giant sees David. It says, So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And we see again the threats of fear and depression. What are you afraid of this morning, church? Are you afraid of a loss of your health? A loss of your income or the money that you have? A a struggling marriage? These are all things that people in our world, all over our world, are are common things that people are struggling with. Do you worry? Do you have this overarching feeling of just that you you worry about things all the time and what will be taken from you and how, how horrible things might be? I just believe that there are many people, many of God's people today, that need freedom from fear of this season that we're in and this coronavirus. You need freedom from fear in your life. What was it about David that made him face the foe? What was it about David that made him go towards the enemy when the rest of the Israelites are trembling in fear? What was the thing that gave David his edge? His advantage over the giant. His superiority over knowing that he could defeat this foe. Because I, here's what I believe, and I think Scripture supports this strongly, is that it was, not, it was not David's sling. And he had a slingshot, and he was good with it too. But it wasn't David's sling that gave him his edge over the Goliath, over this giant. It wasn't his youthfulness, and he was youthful. David was a young Boy, we don't know exactly how old, but some Bible scholars have said even as young as 12 years old was the age that perhaps David could have been. But it wasn't his youthfulness that gave him his edge over the giant, over the enemy, over the thing that was causing this fear and anxiety and stress and promise of defeat and depression and all of these things that were being inflicted upon God's people. It wasn't David's strength and ability. And even if he was a small 12-year-old boy, he probably would have been very strong and very agile. Being a shepherd, a physically demanding occupation and task, he would have been strong and agile and quick. It was, but those were not the things that gave him his advantage or his confidence, and it was not his war experience. David did not have war experience, but he did have experience killing a lion and a bear. And I would say that would probably make me pretty confident in being able to, to go into war with humans. But he had those things, but that was not what gave him his edge over the enemy. What I'd like to preach to you for the next few moments, church and dear friends, I'd like to preach about Christian weapons. Christian weapons. Now, I personally enjoy weaponry. I like weapons. With weapons, I keep the hen house safe. My house safe and my freezer safe, full of venison and wild game all year long. It's wonderful. I enjoy weapons, but as much as I enjoy and own effective weapons, these are not Christian weapons. Now let me give you some great scripture to show you why these physical weapons are not Christian weapons, at least in the sense that I'm preaching about it to you this morning. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down of strongholds. 
Ephesians 6 and verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, church. My hen house, the hens in the hen house may wrestle with flesh and blood against the raccoon that's trying to eat them. And my physical weapon may be able to extinguish that threat to save the hen house from that flesh and blood raccoon issue. But those are not the type of weapons and those are not the types of enemies that we deal with going on. It says, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. As it goes on in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the sword of the Spirit. And we know that this is not an actual physical weapon. This is not an actual sword that can be yielded in arm. But this is, this is the Word of God. This is a spiritual thing. This is a, this is a heavenly matter. So let's take inventory, if you will. Let's take inventory of the Christian weapons in our armory. And if you were here with me, I would have you all say amen. Look now to verse 45. We're still in 1 Samuel chapter 17. As we start to see some of the responses of David. It says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come at me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. The first weapon that David utilizes is in the name of the Lord of hosts. In the name of the Lord of hosts. Have you ever wondered why when we pray, church, we always end or even start prayer sometimes saying, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the precious name of Jesus. Why is it that we pray in Jesus' name? Why is it that David is coming against this foe in the name of the Lord of hosts? I think probably because Scripture teaches us, as we know in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, it says, Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus says, that I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, praying in Jesus' name, or David saying that he comes against the foe of, of God's army in, in the name of the Lord of hosts, praying in Jesus' name is not some kind of special powder magic that he sprinkles over things. That's not what it is. You, you cannot pray in Jesus' name and, and say, in Jesus' name I want chocolate, or in Jesus' name I want gobs of money, etc., etc. <laughs> that's not praying in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name is directly tied to glorifying God. That verse we read just a moment ago in John chapter 14, it says, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that my Father may be glorified. That or so that my, the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus' name is directly tied to glorifying God. It's directly tied to, to doing God's will. I've heard it said before by a dear pastor friend who is now with the Lord Jesus Christ. He said that Jesus' name or praying in Jesus' name, it's not something you say. It's a place you go. It's what you do in God's will. It's not something you say. It's a place that you go. It's something that you do to fulfill God's will. So it would not work. So hope you see the difference of this. It would not work for someone to say, in Jesus' name, I pray, give me a job so that I can have a promotion and be greedy with the money that I make. 
That's, that's not glorifying to God, nor is it of His will, nor is it in Jesus' name. And people who pray things like that are guilty of committing forgery with Jesus' name. Someone could not pray and say, bring me a relationship that I can be sexually gratified in outside of marriage. We know that that is not glorifying to God. It is not of His will and it is not in Jesus' name. Someone could not say, uh, help me cheat on my taxes so that I don't have to proper pay the proper amount. That is not glorifying to God. It is not His will and therefore it is not in his name it's not in the name of the lord of hosts it's not in jesus name do you see the difference church i hope you do if it's not glorifying to god and if it's not of his will it's not in jesus name but when we pray for things that are glorifying to god and are of his will then it is in jesus name for example wisdom as we know james 1 verse 5 tells us to pray for that if anyone is lacking in wisdom let him ask of god who will give without partiality all the wisdom when we need wisdom we know that we are instructed to have wisdom to make god glorifying decisions that are of his will that's why we say in jesus name i need wisdom god in jesus name to see that you are glorified in Jesus' name, that it is of your will that I make this decision with godly wisdom. That, my friends, is in Jesus' name. We know that the church winning souls, that, that God intends to save souls and He intends to use believers like you and me to do it. Second Peter verse chapter 3 and verse 9 tells us that it's not God's will that any should perish but that all should come to knowledge of the truth. And, and we can pray for souls. We can pray that this church would be a vehicle that, that the Lord would use to, to save people, that we would preach the gospel to our community, and that we can say, in Jesus' name, God, help us to save people. God, we know that it's not Your will that any should perish, but God, use us to, to bring forth Your knowledge and Your truth to the world that's around us. In Jesus' name. I hope you see the difference, church. There's a difference between praying in Jesus' name properly and praying in Jesus' name improperly. These things that I just mentioned are God-glorifying. They are of His will, and therefore they are in Jesus' name. Now watch this. Now we're tying it back in. Watch this now, church. David knew that God had given the promised land to the Israelites. He knew that God would be with them, that God would go before them, that God would fight their battles for them. David did not say in the name of the Lord of hosts to somehow sprinkle magic onto his sling that would allow him to take down the foe. No, he knew that what Israel was doing, what God had called them to do, it was a God-glorifying thing. It was of His will, and thus it was in the name of the Lord of hosts. And that's why David said, I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. A God-glorifying thing. A thing of His will, and therefore a thing that is in His name i enjoy preaching about jesus name Woo! all right now how do you church and dear friends how do you apply in jesus name or in the lord of hosts into your life i could give you millions of examples but let me give you one we know that fear is not what you and i are called to we are not called to fear and we have no reason to fear the Bible commands us more commonly than anything else, do not be afraid. And when we are not afraid, when we are trusting the Lord, 
It is a God-glorifying thing because we say, I don't care what I'm going through. I don't care what everyone else is doing. I don't care how much fear is running rampant in the culture. I am set. I am solid in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a God-glorifying thing, and it is of His will, and it's something that is in His name. So when we are plagued with fear, and we know that that is not God-glorifying, and it's not of His will, we can pray and say, in Jesus' name, let this fear leave. In Jesus' name, plant my feet firmly on the rock. In Jesus' name when my heart is overwhelmed lead me to the rock that is higher than I in Jesus name fear be gone I have no reason to hold this fear because of who my Savior is that is how we use in the name of the Lord of hosts that's how we use this first Christian weapon the second Christian weapon I am preaching today and I'm enjoying God's word I hope you are too wherever it is that you're hearing this message 1 Samuel, we're still in chapter 17, look to verse 46. David says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you, David says to Goliath. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. The second Christian weapon that David pulls out of the armory is that there is a God in Israel. You visualize in your minds two mountains. In the middle is what we know is called the Valley of Elah, where all of this is taking place. Two mountains, two armies, two men willing to fight, but only one God on one side. You visualize two sides, two mountains, and on one side is you, and on the other side is the devil, and all the hordes of hell that would like to destroy your life. But there's only one God. There's only one God in Israel. And David knew that he was no match if it wasn't for the fact that there was a God in Israel. David was just a boy. I don't care how good he was with that sling. And David's own ability, he cannot defeat this giant that is perfectly armored, perfectly honed weapons. Goliath would have slaughtered David if it wasn't for the fact that there is a God in Israel. If it wasn't for the fact that there is a God in you, the devil would have taken you out long time ago. You're no match for the enemy of your soul. But if God be for you, church, who can be against you? If God is in your life, is God in your life, church? Is it evident that God is in your life? There was no question that God was in Moses' life. There was no question that God was with Joseph. There was no questioning whether for David or Daniel or Elijah or Paul. God was in their life. Is God in your life today? Some of you, maybe even most of you, this is, this is the plague of, of American Christianity today. Many people have met God. Their sins are forgiven and they're washed clean. But the fragrance of God on their life is so faint that it's barely even recognizable in their life, that they have met God. You know, someone who works with leather and makes all kinds of wallets and purses and someone who's a leather worker, they can take a piece of leather and they can set it on their workbench and they can intend to do all sorts of beautiful things onto that piece of leather by taking leather stamps 
and, and beautiful floral arrangements and basket weaves and all these wonderful things that they can imprint onto this leather and then make beautiful things out of it. Make this leather that's normally just a raw piece of hide and, and make it a beautiful piece of leather. And, and if the leather worker takes their stamp and they place it on and they hit the back end of it with their mallet, it will put, it'll put a very light impression onto that piece of leather. So light, in fact, that they will have to pick it up and, and look very closely to even see if, it's, if that imprint, imprint, indentation is, is imprinted onto the leather. It'll be so light. But if the leather worker takes a wet sponge or a wet cloth and they wet the leather down first, then they can take their stamp and set it on there and hit it even lightly with their mallet and it'll, it'll indent beautifully. They can make a beautiful arrangement. Then it's, it's, it imprints deeply enough that it's so easy to tell that the beautiful work of the Master has been, has been imprinted onto the project. What I want to tell you, church, is when Ephesians chapter 5 tells us to be filled with the Spirit, that just perhaps what God is calling us to do is, is when He's calling us to be filled with the Spirit, He's calling us to take to take a wet sponge and, and slide it across the leather. Letting the Master have its perfect work in us. Making it, making it known, church, that there is a God in Israel. Making it known that there is a God in us. Why am I telling you this, church? It's because when you use the Christian weapon of there being a God in Israel, there being a God in your life, things that used to stick to you don't stick to you anymore. Things that used to cause you fear don't cause you fear anymore. Things that cause the rest of the army of Israel all sorts of fear that they're all trembling for 40 days, worried about this Goliath and what he's going to do to them. Those things start to fall off of you when you know that there's a God in Israel, that there's a God inside of you. Those things start to fall off. If you need some things in your life to fall off, say amen out loud wherever it is that you are listening to this today. We come against our Goliath's church in the name of the Lord of hosts and with a God in Israel and in us. Now if you would go to verse 47. And it says, Then all this assembly shall know, this is David speaking, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And He will give you unto our hands. So it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead, so that the stone sank deep into the forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and the stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. And therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, and drew it out of the sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Lastly, the third Christian weapon that David deployed out of the armory was to remind the enemy that the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. There was a troop that had a three-day march to meet up with where their general was fighting a battle. 
And at the end of this long and, and very difficult three-day march, they arrived to the battlefield only to find that their, their general and, and the troops that were with the general had already won the battle. The, the war had already been won. But the general says, now that you're here, we need you to stay on this battlefield to help with the cleanup, to help with the wounded and to tend to them and to, to take these weapons and supplies. We need you as workers here. And, and it's going to be difficult out on this battlefield because it's still... It's still as much of a mess as it was before and all this blood and all the mess from, from the aftermath of the actual war, but, but the battle's already won. You can work knowing that the battle has already been won. When you and I go through life and coronavirus and all the fears and all the things that plague us, church, we can go through life, yes, on the battlefield, yes, dealing with things in the life, still dealing with the impact of the effect of sin that has impacted and infected everything in life, but we go through it knowing that the battle has already been won, church. That is good news that our battle, our battle with depression and anxiety and fears and all the things that plague us, whatever the Goliath is that, that we feel like we're battling against, we're not really battling against it. It's already been defeated on a cross and with an empty grave and a Jesus that sits on the throne forevermore. It's already been won, church. It's already been won. We're merely there dealing with the mess of the sin and but we go through it knowing that the battle has already been won. The victory is already ours. It's a sweet truth. It's a wonderful truth that Jesus who loves us fought for us and prevailed. Mm. The greatest example, church, that I can give you of Christian weapons. Of Christian weapons. Using these things that we saw David pull out of the armory. When a sinner which is all of us, by the way. When we recognize that God loves us and we, we bring Him our sinfulness and we repent, we're, we're doing it in the name of the Lord of hosts, in the name of Jesus. It's, it's of His will. It's a God-glorifying thing that we would lay down our sin before Him, recognizing that we are broken and that we need Him and that we need Him desperately. It's in the name of the Lord of hosts. And that person's life, should they decide to do that? Should you decide to do that today? To bring your sin to a God who loves you. Their life, your life, will change for the better. You'll be forgiven of your sin. You'll experience peace like you've never had it before. Freedom like you've never... Your life will grow spiritual fruit. You, you will be a piece of leatherwork that has something beautiful imprinted on it. Because you've willingly allowed the water to be slid across. You, you, you've been changed by God in the name of the Lord of hosts. And then all of a sudden, God is in you. You've been changed because God is in you. That change wasn't because of you. That change was because of God and His grace for you and His love for you. And as we live with discouragement and trials and hardships and heartbreak and and still facing the effects of sin like we do, like every single one. This is not a health and wealth church and preacher here. We still go through stuff. Job still went through stuff. Joseph still went through stuff. I go through stuff. Hard stuff. Stuff that makes me wonder if I'm doing what the Lord has called me to do. And, and am I good enough to be a pastor in God? Why would you even call me to do this? But, but, but in the name of the Lord of hosts. God is in me. 
And then I'm reminded that this battle, this battle that I feel like I'm fighting, I'm fighting a battle that's already been won. And He won it for me. He won it for me. You know, our prayer before we even begin these services, whether it's online or however it is that you're hearing this message, our prayer is that you would join us and and that by the end of it, you would become a follower of Jesus Christ. That you would trust the Lord Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation. That you would, you would repent of your sin. That you would realize that the things you're filling your life with are nothing and could never compare to a God who gave His only Son for you. And we pray that you would come to know the freedom that comes with being a child of God. That, you, that if, you're, if, you, if you are a child of God this morning, that you would come to know greater freedom in Him, that, that you would continue to allow God to imprint Himself onto you, that you would, you would continue to be filled with the Spirit willingly, desiring that the Holy Spirit of God fills you daily. Would you bow your heads wherever you are and, and pray with me as we ask the Lord to, to help us in this time. Father, we need You, God. We're so grateful for Your love for us. And we do need you. Wherever you are listening, would you, would you just pray in your heart and, and talk to the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need me. You need Jesus. And you need to say something like this to Him if you've never said it before. You say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring. for. Thank you for overseeing my life when I was walking away. God, I realize the lack in my life. I realize the sin in my life. Would you forgive me, God? I've sinned against you. Thank you for loving me so much that you would redeem, that you would offer your love of forgiveness to, to me. I accept it, God, on, on the faith of what you've done for me on the cross. I want my life to be, to be in you, God. I don't want to stay in a grave. I want to be raised to life like you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for what you've done. I trust you with my life. And I seek Your Word to show me the way in all of these things. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. My dear friend, if you prayed that prayer and you were sincere, I'm not saying there's nothing special and magical about that prayer, but, but if you mean business with God, if you're man or woman enough to recognize that you are a sinner and, and, you, and you, you've humbled yourself enough to know that you need God to forgive you and you've cried out to him the promise of god's word is that he will abundantly pardon and i'm so glad that for me god has abundantly pardoned me and it's a great thing that we rejoice in god bless you today i'm so glad that you are here to join in with us we look forward to our drive-in services every sunday until May the 31st, when we bring our services back inside the church building. Uh, Again, please watch that video on all the platforms, have you not already, as it does cover some important details of what it will look like when we do gather back inside our church building. But we look forward to that day of worshiping Jesus with you and God's house. God bless you today.